Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome once again, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. College style on a Monday, end of March. I'm John Manuel. He's Aaron Fit. Thanks so much for the download. Send the emails to podcast at baseballamerica.com. Be ready for Aaron's college chat this afternoon. I mean, it's just a... College sports dominating the landscape, and it's not just uh, basketball, obviously. Huge doings in college baseball again this weekend, Aaron. Um, every weekend there are, just because there's just so much gosh darn parody, and I hate to use that word. But I think, uh, you know, between the scholarship production from 15 years ago, between more teams actually giving a darn, between the expansion of the field to 64, and now the compaction, every team is getting pushed into that middle. And uh, we just seen a, so many teams where it's, it's, it's really hard to call any of these upsets. It's hard to call Southern Miss winning two out of three at Rise an upset. It is, but it's hard to call it that. It's hard to even call your upset pick, Nebraska yeah. at Texas. You're t- two for your last two in upsets, by the way. Congrats. Thank you. I, I assist for, to you on that one, John. I get a little helper there. But for Nebraska winning that series at, uh, at Texas, it's right. hard to call that an upset. But uh, we just are seeing a lot of teams that, it's very difficult to get on a run in college baseball this year is what we're seeing. And, and one reason for that, John, it's funny, we were talking about this today earlier, is, is the midweek games, uh, because there's so many of them, we're seeing a lot of teams put up, win, win every weekend. Stanford is, I guess, the, the best example here. They've, they've won all five weekends against most of the quality opponents, almost all quality opponents, and... Uh, uh, but yet they're only 12-7 and seven overall because they're losing in the midweek. And so that kind of tempers their ascent up the rankings a little bit. It is amazing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Stanford uh, and their losses are almost all midweek. They yeah. lost once on the weekend in Nebraska. Uh, they've lost to St. Mary's. <laughs> and, but they have won. Uh, they swept Fullerton. They won two out of three at Texas. Lost yeah, the midweek against Cal. Lost a midweek against, uh, well, I guess it technically it was a weekend game against Pacific, but they're they're all kind of... Different. They have the Cal State Sacramento you know, Sacramento State loss, so uh, they haven't lost uh, a weekend yet. They hardly have any back to back losses. But they are, they're only, the only thing is they're, they're only twelve and seven, right? And they're, and they're winning mostly two out of three every weekend. They only have one sweep against Fullerton, so but they can't quite get on a roll. That's why we did rank a team this week that is on a roll. They're uh, like butter. Um, and that would be UNC Wilmington because yeah. they're on a roll. And, and they, Wilmington, John. I mean, if you look at their schedule, uh, it's it's not a great schedule. But first of all, it's hard to win twenty games in a row. They're the only team that's done it this year. Second of all, they 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 do have a couple of signature wins. They beat Coastal twice in midweek action in the last two weeks. Uh, so at least they've got that. The rest of their schedule. I mean, you're looking at Fordham, Towson, Hofstra. Uh, I mean, really, their best weekend win is probably William and Mary, which is a team that was playing okay. I mean, and then until this weekend, that they, they go to Virginia Commonwealth, a team that is, I think, down this year from where they have been. But like like you pointed, they're only five and nineteen. They're zero and eight in conference, uh, but they're still VCU. It's a solid program, a well coached team, and it's on the road. So I mean, like it's not a, it's not an overwhelming resume for Wilmington, but like you like you said, John, it's just hard to win twenty games in a row now more than ever. It is hard. I, I'm stunned that VCU is five and nineteen, and I'm just stunned. I mean, we knew going. I knew going into the ranking they were not great. I didn't realize they were five and sixteen going into that series. Um, it's a really, really, really strange year this year, and I think that's what we're saying is that it's very tough 
to get on a roll. And no matter who you're playing, most teams out there are pretty good. You know, Towson and Hofstra aren't good. Uh, and they aren't great programs. Uh, they are both conference series. Uh, it's just hard to sweep a series in conference. I mean, you want to see Wilmington right now. Uh, to me, you just have to respect a 20-game win streak, no matter what the caliber of competition is. Uh, some of those games are on the road. There, a lot of them are in bad weather. Everyone's playing in some bad weather right now in this part yeah. of the country. I just think you have to respect what UNC right. Wilmington has done to keep on winning. Uh, no, the only other team that's putting together a win streak like this is Arizona State. And Kentucky you know, did it. Uh, Kentucky did it early. Um, against against a, probably an even weaker schedule. I was about to say, just, just as weak uh, schedule, all at home also, none of it on the road, none right. of it in conference. Um, let's talk a little bit about Arizona State, Aaron. We're jumping around. Arizona State's our number one team. They are like this island of tranquility in this uh, ocean of storms and t- tempests. It's amazing how consistently dominant Arizona State has been. How good is Arizona State? Let's try to try to compare them to some other past teams. I mean, uh, uh, the last couple of years for you, I mean, is this team significantly better than last year's Arizona State team? Which really rolled into Omaha, and you kind of could you kind of could have put the favorite tag on. They them were my favorite, Omaha. John. I thought they were going to win that thing going into Omaha last year. They had every piece in place, and I don't Including know why. Including some didn't. excessive swagger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, that was a good and a bad thing for them. Uh, but you know what? I don't know why this team would yeah. why this team on paper is better than last year's team. I I you know I mean really I mean. They, they've lost Sogard and Romine from last year's team, and, and as, really much as, as, much as, you, as much as you like Marcel Champagne and the job he's done, he's he's, he's not an Romine. upgrade over Andrew Romine, no, and, and certainly the downgraded second base is very significant because Eric Sogard was an All-American. Uh, and, and you know what? They, they lost uh, a little bit on the mound. I mean, they added a little bit on the mound, but I think it's kind of a wash, really. It's still not the deepest pitching staff ever. Uh, I, I still think, I've been saying it all year long, I still think we're, this, this, this will eventually be a factor for them. But, man, oh, man, is it amazing what they have done, 25-1. and one. I really thought that the pitching situation would catch up with them before this, and it has not. So who knows? Maybe they can keep it up. I just think all the props have to go to this uh, to Coach Pat Murphy and his yeah. staff. They've had off the field distractions and uh, hasn't hurt them. They finally got Kyle Rowling rolling. He's gotten going offensively. Uh, props to Ike Davis, who uh, the feature we did in the preseason. Pat Murphy said, "I think this guy is ready to break out. I think he's ready to be our best guy." He's been their best guy, with all due respect to Brett Wallace. Uh, and look at the year that Ike Davis is having. Uh, right. Wallace has one more home run. But Davis is out hitting him. Uh, he's out doubling him by four times as many doubles. Oh, and by the way, he goes on the mound from time to time, and he's eight and two thirds scoreless innings with thirteen strikeouts. I mean, uh, he's been huge for them. And here's another factor, John. Is actually I think they're they are better defensively in the outfield this year. Last year, Pat Murphy offensively they had three DHs out there at, at, a, at a, any given time, uh, with you know Matt Spencer and you know uh, Tim Smith and. and uh, you know, even like Davis doesn't doesn't move real quick out there. You're right there. Now they've got Jason Kipnis, uh, the transfer from Kentucky, has been outstanding. Matt Newman, the freshman, has not gotten a lot of publicity here, uh, on, but man. he's but he has hit and he's played good defense. I mean, he's uh, he's he's the guy that that Murphy compares to like a Chris Duffy kind of a player, and and he's been outstanding for them. So these newcomers, you've got to give those guys credit. You've got to give the returning guys credit. I mean, Mike Leake, you know that that guy. I don't know how much more he can do, uh, but. He, he's pitching. It seems like he's pitching twice every week here. I mean, he's forty-eight to two strikeout the loss. That's amazing. That is just sick. And Steven Sauer, little CC Southern Nevada transfer, uh, 
A lot of pitching in that league. It's a wood bat junior college league. Right. Produced Cole Rohrbaugh. It's produced Colby Shreve, whom we've written about this year. He's been um, huge for them. He has been outstanding for them. He's a little command and control guy, and he's throwing strikes, and he's uh, keeping the ball from really from getting uh, from getting uh, you know, driven. He's only given up three extra base hits. So their pitching has been outstanding. What can you tell us about Reyes Dorado? It's a middle reliever who's yeah. just been sick for them, a junior college transfer from Riverside. Yeah, I mean, that's a guy they like. I think he's a, a kind of a, uh, a sinker-slider kind of a guy. I mean, again, not overpowering, but a guy who I think yeah. will get drafted. And, and uh, you know, he's, he's come in, John, and, and, and they thought maybe he would be the guy in the preseason who could emerge as their closer. And, and you know, it seems like, like Davis is kind of filling that role right now, but Dorado might end up being their most valuable reliever. you got Dorado and Tommy Rafferty, who leads their team in appearances, and is just 20 innings out of their bullpen. I mean, he's been outstanding with five uh, vulture wins. So they lose Jarvis uh, to the academics. Seth Blair and Jason Fransblau, their two key newcomers, really, in the pitching staff, have not been as good as they would have liked or hoped. Right. I mean, they both and, and still Dev- pitched a lot. And Devin Fuller is, is gone as well. He's right. ineligible. R.J. Preach, another uh, freshman who we thought could be an impact freshman. It's been the other guy. It's been Dorado. Right. It's been Sauer. It's been Rafferty, who've really come through for Arizona State. You just have to keep on tipping your cap to this team. So much drama with this club. And it really seems like the more drama, the better Pat Murphy is and the better that this team is. And uh, certainly a guy right. who knows how to use motivation, external motivation, who knows how to do an us-against-the-world kind of thing. and uh, Playing that perfectly right now. Absolutely. He's the perfect coach for that, and this is an outstanding, really, really talented team. I can't I can't even express how impressed I've been with it, with this first six weeks for Arizona State. I mean, they, you know, we thought that we knew they were going to be good. Everyone knew they were going to be good, John, but 25-1. and one, uh, We were skeptical. We, we were clearly skeptical preseason, or else we wouldn't have ranked them nine. We definitely thought they had more talent. They were the ninth most talented team. Right. And they have taken uh, that ranking and kind of shoved it uh, where the uh, sun uh, does not shine for us this year. And that's uh, I'm perfectly willing to tip my cap there as an estate. Absolutely. Uh, Miami's other team at 21-2. and two, They moved the Hurricanes up to two this week ahead of North Carolina in the uh, both of the ACC and in our top 25 rankings. Miami, I think we've t- they're very similar ball clubs. These are two teams that we would have ranked higher in past years without the compacted schedule. We did not think they had the pitching depth. And so far, A, they've shown more more pitching than we thought, and B, they've shown it doesn't really matter. They're just bludgeoning teams into submission. Uh, Jamile Weeks having an outstanding bounce-back year for Miami. Uh, they've got one of the nation's best table setters in Blake Dakota to go with Jamile Weeks. And uh, the middle of their lineup has been the middle of their lineup. Uh, Alonzo, Sobolewski. Whoever, different Raven years every day. Raven has come on very strong. He had a t- couple of two-run doubles on Friday against Duke that really uh, loomed large. So you can probably read more about him in three strikes this week. I look forward to that. And on the mound, they've been good enough. And I think uh, one of the big keys is, uh, you know, Jim Morris told us, in, uh, told us in Philadelphia. I had to break out my Jim Morris impersonation at the University of Miami would have outstanding bullpen this year. And they, they usually do. Under uh, under Carlos Gutierrez has been the key guy, but he's been the guy. Arm. He's been the guy, and, and, and Kyle Bellamy is the other one who you know maybe doesn't have as much stuff, but still has yet to give up a, a, a run this year. How about twenty three to how about twenty three to one strike out of the walk, for Kyle Bellamy? Any relation to Bill? Do we know? <laughs> I don't think so. I believe the answer is no. Uh, sophomore out of Davie, Florida, for Kyle Bellamy. No relation to Bill Bellamy. Uh, thank goodness that would be a vote in his disfavor. Uh, were there a, a relation? But to me, Arizona State, Miami kind of separated themselves yeah. at one and two, and that's the way our ranking shape up this week of Baseball America. It's the Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel. 
He's Aaron Fit. Aaron, the other big news of the weekend, Cal. The Cal Bears. St- uh, playing at home uh, in one of the worst ballparks in the West for a major program. One of the worst ballparks in the country uh, in the, uh, for a major program. The Cal Bears. Long Beach State comes into Cal and gets run. The Dirtbags, number five in our rankings going into the weekend. They come out on the other end, number ten, after the Cal Bears sweep them. We've talked a little bit about Cal. We've had them ranked. They jump up uh, from eleven to five. Uh, 11, I'm sorry, eleven to seven in this week's rankings. I think they're eight. Uh, no, I think they're seven. Are they seven. They're seven ahead oh, of Vanderbilt. Oh, you're right. Okay. Um, the Cal Bears. What was the key for them this weekend in getting that series sweep? And why should teams? Why should? Uh, what, what would you tell a casual college baseball fan? Who doesn't know? Hey, wait a minute, Cal. How are they possibly a College World Series team? Why are they? Well, I mean, they, they showed why this weekend. It's they're, they're balanced, but the biggest reason is that they might have the best offense uh, on the West Coast outside of Tempe. Uh, and uh, I think that's a great point. And, I and, think you're right. And you know, and, and that was the difference this weekend is because they've got enough pitching certainly to compete. And, and you know, uh, Tyson Ross this weekend just outpitched Andrew Liebel, a guy who's been one of the, the hottest pitchers in the country. Uh, great, great encouraging sign to see Tyson Ross go eight strong innings like that. Um, but uh, you know, the rest of their staff is just kind of solid. Craig Benningson, Alex Rollins, these veteran guys. Uh, the bullpen, John. Do not overlook the bullpen with Daniel Wolford and, and Kevin Miller, these two uh, newcomers who. Uh, as of last weekend, we're, we're, we're the only two guys, the only two qualifiers in the nation with ERAs of zero. Nice. Uh, so, I mean, that, and, and of course you've got Matt Gorgon back there anchoring the thing. So the bullpen is huge. And, of course, the, the, the biggest factor I think this weekend was Long Beach, just not as offensive a club as, as Cal. And you get them on the road, uh, and they are vulnerable, Long Beach is. And, and, and Cal, I think, can play in different kinds of, you know, different settings a little more easily than Long Beach can. I think that they're offensive enough to score a lot of runs no matter where they play. Uh, David Cooper, you know, you could throw his name in, into the mix for the best hitter in the country. That guy uh, well, I don't think is, he's in the mix. I think he's squarely at the top. I mean, he's right there. He is right there with anybody in the country. He is just a, and Josh Satin has given him a, a lot of protection now, reverting to his freshman year form. Uh, that's been a huge development for them. 446 uh, for Josh Satin. This is a guy who was a Cape Cod League All-Star Game uh, MVP a couple years ago, and what's known as the Abomination All-Star Game, right. where, the one where Matt, uh, where Matt Laporta pitched, right. among other players who pitched. But uh, Josh Satin did hit with Wood that summer. He hit as a freshman, and he's had shoulder and hand issues since then. And uh, this is what you have to do. You have to have seniors come through for you. Uh, to have a breakthrough season in college baseball. You have to have veterans come through for you. And Right now, their juniors are coming through for them. David Cooper and Tyson Ross are big draft guys, the guys who have the targets on their backs. Those guys are playing really, really well. Their stars are not having any draft-itis. They're playing well, and then their veterans are playing well. And yeah. It's just uh, it's very encouraging to see uh, for a Cal team that's always kind of been right on the cusp. They've been, uh, I like to call them perennial NIT kind of club. They're always on the... Uh, if they're in, they're number 64 that's in, and if they're out, they're number 65 or 66 and, and that's out. You know, John, they made some history the last couple of years. As uh, I think each of the last two years, I, I believe, they were the only Pac-10 team ever with a winning record that didn't make the NCAA tournament. So, uh, and, and in each of those years, there were teams, I believe, with lower uh, conference records or lower in the conference standings right. uh, that, that were picked ahead of them, and that had never happened before either. Well, two years ago was the most egregious one for them because it was Stanford, yeah. uh, whom they beat head-to-head, and Stanford did have a better non-conference rec- uh, schedule but Stanford was below them in the standings, got taken in 2006. And, of course, Stanford made good on it, went to Texas and won a regional. 
Um, but to me, the results of the tournament never necessarily had nothing to do with which teams were correctly picked. I that, that Stanford just was uh, that had to gall Cal fans. Obviously, yeah. when the when Stanford's phone number for tickets is one eight hundred beat Cal, I think that tells you the depth of the rivalry there. When Mike Montgomery, the ex Stanford basketball coach, won't even be considered for Cal's basketball opening right now because he coaches Stanford, I think that tells you the depth of the vitriol in that rivalry. Sure. So, uh, another thing that really the other thing that it's crazy here, Aaron, is that you know, the the schedule is really opening up for for Cal right now. Uh, their next couple series in the league, they're at home against the O-State Ballers, who, yes, are balling, but 13-8, and eight, not quite back in our rankings, but back on their feet. So it's a huge test for Cal, uh, the two-time defending national champion. And they're at USC, and they're home to Washington. Frankly, they should be favored in those three series. Yeah. And then a showdown series at the end of April at Arizona State. Right. Uh, by the a month from now, we're really going to know whether Cal is going to have to wonder about hosting a regional because they can't do it on campus. I don't think Stanford will share a something <laughs> Um I wonder if the Oakland A's will share Network Associates Stadium. I'm, I'm doubting it. My guess is, is there some Cal League team out there that, that uh, is nearby? No. Not that I know. San Jose? They could play in San Jose, I suppose. Jeez. Um, at Municipal Park, that's not... Uh, uh, I, I, that would have to be a, something maybe joint with San Jose State. I don't know that San Jose State's going to want to help... Kind of a Bay Area rival. But you wouldn't have thought that San Diego State last year would want to help uh, USD. And so, I mean, I think that's... Yeah, but Tony Gwynn is Tony Gwynn. Yeah, I mean, true. he's a prince. Nothing that's against true. San Perraro, uh, <laughs> who's, uh, you know, I, I've, whose company I've, I've always enjoyed. Uh, he's, he has schooled me on a few things in college baseball. But, boy, I, that just sets it up. If Cal keeps playing this way, they're going to be in position to host a regional, and they can't do it. And we saw how that affected Michigan last year. They were in position to host a super regional, just couldn't do it. And I personally think it was the difference between them going to Omaha and not going. Sure. So uh, it just matters so much. Commitment from the university. Maybe you have to have Cal have this kind of season and kind of get job because they couldn't host to spur a university into committing to the baseball program. You wish it weren't that way, but maybe it will have to be that way, Aaron. John, before we end this podcast, let me make a very quick transition here uh, to, you know, after after the top ten, John, this thing really after, opened up. After Stanford, there was a, there was a giant vacuum, and we really didn't know what to do. We had a twelve and seven team at thirteen, moving up four spots in Stanford, and, and Virginia behind them, moving up what seven or eight spots? Seven uh, spots. Seven spots after after really they haven't really they still really haven't beaten anybody. I mean, I, I'm still no. waiting for a quality win from Virginia. Uh, they they lost to their two decent road series to Duke and NC State, and then they they come home and sweep BC and. and uh, Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech. Now, I mean, those are the, no offense to those programs. They're they're good. Pro, they're, they're they're decent programs. Virginia they're bottom feeders. Them. Virginia should sweep them. There's no doubt yeah. about that. They're bottom feeders in that league. If Virginia had not swept those two series, they just won two out of three in those two series. They might not even be in our rankings. Yeah. And now they're 14. Someone's got to be 14. Um, but, and it's not going to be Rice. It's not going to be Texas. They're coming in after that. Because yeah. Rice and Texas are playing the role of Dennis Green this week. They are who we thought they were. Um, they are just okay. But both those teams had such significant losses from last year, they're still finding themselves. Yeah. With Wayne Graham and Augie Garrido, maybe expect them to find themselves a little bit more than you would maybe expect, say, Virginia or some other team to find themselves. Those two coaches have certainly done it. Uh, but there's not evidence right now in front of us, Aaron. Like Texas versus Stanford, you have to rank Stanford ahead of them. Yeah. Stanford, I know it was a while ago, but Stanford went into Texas and beat them two out of three. got to right. give the Cardinal. That's how the Cardinal ranks so high. So, uh 
San Diego. Cardinal, incidentally, John also have also have a series win against Nebraska, who's who ranks right. about ahead of them. But first of all, it was the first weekend of the series. Nebraska is a cold weather team on the road. Yep. Second of all, Nebraska has just just played better since. I mean, it's, it's been outstanding. Hey, they also they, beat Texas. Get in line, Texas, sure. behind the teams that beat you. That's right. And Nebraska sitting atop the Big Twelve, probably the biggest surprise of the year for me. Absolutely, I think that's a great point. Um, other team, uh, Arizona and UCLA, the most unpleasant surprises of the year from the Baseball America standpoint. Yeah. Arizona loses two out of three to UCLA, so UCLA sticks around the rankings at 23. How about Arizona, Aaron? Tumbling from six all the way down to number 18. What in blazes is going on with the Arizona Wildcats? It looks like they just can't feel anymore. That's been, I think, the biggest problem, and they thought they had got that thing stabilized when they inserted Bryce Ortega, the freshman uh, recruited walk-on, into the shortstop job in place of, of Robert Abel. Uh, but you know what? They're still having problems defensively. They had Abel a little bit at second base this weekend. Uh, I mean, really, they're just—they're just—it's just not happening for them, John. In any phase, I mean, their 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 bats have gone completely cold. Um, you know, and, they, and frigid. They, and, and their arms, John, which were supposed to be supposed to be the best pitching staff in the country. That's the vexing. Part. I mean, that's the part that that doesn't quite make sense when you've got guys like Mike Cola pitching really badly. Uh, when you've got, uh, I mean, David Coulon got shelled. I mean, just hammered on Saturday. Um, you know, and, and I mean, their bullpen, Stoffel and, and Schlereth have been the two guys who've, who've continued to do it, and, and Preston Gilmet has continued to do it. Right. Uh, but the, the rest, rest of the staff, staff is very inconsistent. And that is just shocking. Uh, this is a team that has so much pitching depth. But, you know, preseason, Aaron, we lined a lot of these teams up. One of the reasons we did it, the way we did it, was up the middle. And we've been right as far as what was important up the middle. We just got it wrong in our evaluation. Arizona State's been better up the middle. Than Arizona, and one of the big reasons we thought Arizona was better was they were better up the middle and had deeper pitching. Near those two things, they, they are that, that was true on paper. But Marcel Champagne has helped make Arizona State better up the middle than we thought. I just love saying his name. <laughs> what can I say? And Arizona's pitching has not come through, and uh, it's just brutal. And then uh, we, we, before we end the podcast, congratulations, tip of the cap to Streakin from la- the weekend preview. Mark Scaff and the UNC by the Sea Seahawks, UNC Wilmington, 20 straight victories we mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, just hard to do. No matter who you're playing, very hard to do. Uh, they jump into the rankings at number 20. And then uh, <laughs> before we finish, late change right before the podcast started, change of heart, Cal State Fullerton into the poll. We won't say who is out, who came out at 25, but we did drop two teams, Aaron, Baylor and Ole Miss. Ole Miss all the way up from 15 to out. Kaput. Ole Miss, the only team that we were thinking about this week that has lost three weekend series already uh, and really just nary a quality win on their resume. Um, you know, I mean, It was really a- startling to go back game by game with Ole Miss and see how unimpressive they've been over the last six weeks. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, really, you could, you could probably say their best series win. You could say it's, it's been Minnesota, and that was a cold-weather team coming south in the, in the first weekend of the year. I mean, Mississippi State is down. They're just down. That's That, that series, two out of three, doesn't look as good. I know we're long on the podcast, Aaron. We have to have some final thoughts, though, on Ron Polk resigning. Yeah. Ron Polk resigning, announcing his retirement. Well, not retirement. Announcing this will be his last year at Mississippi State. Now, he's retired once before and came out of retirement to go coach Georgia. Will there be a Polky signing elsewhere in the Southeastern Conference after this year at Mississippi State, you think? Well, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's come out and said now that uh, the major reason for this, he's laying it, of course, at the NCAA's exactly. feet. Uh, you know, the NCAA drove him out. He, he couldn't deal with these scholarship restrictions and cutting his roster down. Um, and so he's kind of making this into a protest move. Um, we'll see if it, if it 
does anything. I mean, I, I think at this point, what's done is done. Um, I think he probably just is, is is tired of dealing with it. And, and you know, you wrote a, a, a nice piece about it in Omaha last year, John, about how he just seems like he's getting beaten down by this stuff. And I think I think it's I think he's it's just worn him out. Uh, and, and you know, I don't know if we will see him coaching again. I don't think so either. And um, it's disappointing to hear that he did that. Um, it's predictable that he would do that. That he would lay this at the feet of the NCAA. I don't see what's so different about uh, his program versus everyone else who's going to still deal with this. You know, he's younger than Mike Gillespie, yeah, um, who got he's forced out. Younger, isn't he? Yeah, and, and he got who got forced out pretty ignominiously at uh, Southern California. And I'm not trying to attack Ron Polk, but you know, Mike Gillespie won a national championship at Southern Cal, which is more than Ron Polk can say at Mississippi State. Ron Polk's 7-16 and 16 in games in the Cowboys series. I, I think the guy can go out on his own. And I think one, I think the bigger factor here, honestly, is you got a new AD coming in. So you have to start a whole new year, a 64-year-old, 65-year-old guy, and you're having to start a whole new relationship with a new athletic director. Uh, that's tough at, at any age. And you're asking him to do it with new NCAA rules with a compacted schedule, which really isn't a big deal to Ron Polk. Uh, and then you're a guy who's always red-shirted, who's always basically hoarded players to make sure those guys would rather be the 30th guy on your roster than the 15th guy at Southern Miss or the 20th guy somewhere else. You'd rather have them on your bench to go to, be, to, go to Memphis and play for your old coach, your old assistant, Darren Schoenrock. That, that's the Ron Polk mentality. That's why... That's the if you want to play devil's advocate, which is what I'm doing. That's why they like to have their big roster. It's not so they don't have to because they don't have the heart to go cut players because you don't want that player to come back and burn you at some midweek game for a smaller school, a non-SEC school. Well, um, that, that's my point. So to me, Ron Polk, he's gone back to Mississippi State. Um, you know, this decade he's taken two teams to Omaha, Georgia right. and Mississippi State. Uh, you can't front on that. Uh, but you know, the, 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 it's been a little bit of a decline for in my mind. This program is. Been behind Ole Miss since he got back to Mississippi State, and I think it just makes more sense. Maybe he saw the writing on the wall with all the changes, plus the changes at his school, the changes in the college baseball landscape. Uh, I don't think we're going to see Ron Polk again, and uh, it would be the end to one of the most consequential careers in college baseball. And let's let's not forget the impact he's had on the sport, and as far as showing schools how you can market it and how big the sport can be on campus. The, the record super regional crowd they had last year in Starkville. All that said, though, uh, I think that in, in my mind, uh, it makes sense for Mississippi State to go in a different direction. And I don't know if they'll go to the Ron Polk coaching tree, but there are a lot of good branches on that Ron Polk coaching tree. The Steve his, his Smith two of the world now, I think, are also uh, quality guys. Yeah, Tommy Raffo, uh, I forget the name. Russ McNichol. Russ McNichol, absolutely. And you got Jim Case down at Jacksonville State. Uh, you got Darren Schoenrock at Memphis. These, I think, are some of the natural names that are going to be talked about as possible successors sure. uh, to Ron Polk at Mississippi State. And then way back in the day, you got guys like uh, Mark Johnson coached there, uh, now at San Houston State. you got a guy. Uh, th- those guys are all really part of the Jerry Kendall coaching tree, Ron Polk and, and Mark Johnson. Steve Smith, Pete Dunn long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stetson long ago was at Mississippi State. So uh, there are a lot of guys who have ties to Ron Polk, obviously Dave Perno even. Sure. Uh, my final thought, I guess, on, on the Ron Polk era also is, is uh, you know, one thing that, that when you talk to people in the game, John, it, it, that, that you hear all the time about him is that he's one of the most loyal people out there and that, and that people uh, who, who played for him or coached under him are incredibly loyal to him. Uh, he cares an awful lot about his guys. 
Um, and uh, I, I think that I think the game will miss him. Um, Absolutely. And uh, you know, best of luck to Coach Paul. Yeah. Now it's time for some other coach to have the uh, chutzpah and the fortitude. If they believe these NCAA changes are wrong, to speak up for about them and to be forceful about them and try to act on them with the chutzpah that that Ron Polk had. Uh, that I, I don't I didn't always agree with him, but uh, I really think that some other coach needs to take that mantle up, and I think Ron Polk really hopes that happens too. So uh, we would definitely personally, uh, Ron Polk has been fantastic to us. He's been fantastic to Baseball America over the years, and uh, wish him nothing but the best. But I think it's understandable why this change is being made. So, uh, consequential podcast, uh, Aaron, big podcast at Baseball America today. Send your questions in for next week's podcast at podcast at baseballamerica.com, or don't forget to send Aaron email to the college blog for the weekly mailbag. You'll get a fifteen hundred word response, like Clemson fan did last week. What's that email address, Aaron? That's, that's college blog at baseballamerica.com. So make it so. So until next week's podcast, he's Aaron. I'm John. So long, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.